Monday, August 21st. It took me a long time to fall asleep last night. I was thinking about this. Eric's arrival is going to change the football season at Lake Windsor High School. Dad's arrival is going to change how things are done in the civil engineering department in Tangerine County. Mom's arrival will change the homeowners association in Lake Windsor Downs. So what about me? Will I make the difference between winning and losing for the middle school's soccer team? I have the sense that great things are expected of us here. Dad calls this a booming area. But it's no Houston. It's not even a Huntsville. It's like we're major leaguers who've been sent down to the minor league city for a while. We're expected to do great things here and then move back up to the big leagues. I got down to breakfast just as Dad was leaving. He was halfway out the door and did not look happy. He was lecturing Mom. You ought to file a complaint against the fireman. You ought to call the county and complain about the slow response time. Then you ought to complain about them sending some jerk kid out here who doesn't know what he's doing and talk or what he's talking about. I don't know why, but I immediately rose to Wayne's defense. He sure seemed to know what he was talking about, Dad. He sure knew all about that muck fire. Dad snapped back. No professional shows up 20 minutes late wearing cutoffs. If he worked for me, he'd be fired. Then he was out the door, leaving me with my unanswered questions. Fired for what, Dad? For telling us the truth? For telling us something that you didn't know? That you should have known? After breakfast, I joined Mom in one of the guest bedrooms. We'd taken on the job of unpacking the boxes. We'd already worked our way through the great room, the living room, and the dining room. Shade and storage space. Mom said, are the two things that you do not get in Florida. People pack up their northern homes with their attics and basements and tiny upstairs rooms that nobody ever uses, and they move into these Florida homes that are wide open as cathedrals. All the house space down here is devoted to air and light, nothing to storage. Mom had, of course, anticipated this problem. Before the movers came, we had to set aside everything that we would not use on a regular basis in Florida. All of these items were now stacked in the climate-controlled storage space just west of here, out on Route 22. We probably have as much stuff out there as we do here in the house, including most of Mom's antiques, which just aren't Florida. It occurred to me as we unpacked the things that are Florida that Mom might actually hate moving here. But, of course, she will never tell me about it just like she would never have told Grandma and Grandpa about hating all those moves of her childhood. Mom would never waste her time complaining, just like she would never waste her time worrying about the past. Later in the afternoon, we, we drove up Route 89, past new developments with new walls and guardhouses, past a long row of high-tension wires, to the adjoining campuses of Lake Windsor High School and Lake Windsor Middle School. All the way there, we seem to be riding side by side with black storm clouds. I hope we get in before this rain starts, Mom muttered as we turned at Seagull Way into the enormous black-topped parking lot of the campus. We drove past the long, windowless, two-story high school and around the football stadium to the middle school. The middle school office is located in a one-story building that looks like the younger brother of the high school building. 
We made it inside just as the first bolts of lightning cracked around us. While mom gave my name to the secretary, I looked through a glass door at a field full of small wooden shacks. They take up most of the space between this main building and the steel bleachers of the high school football stadium. Wonder who gets to put in those shacks, I said, turning toward mom. She was now standing with a tall, thin woman with jet black hair. The woman eyed me coldly and said, all 7th and 8th graders are in the portable classrooms. The main building is for 6th graders only. Mom did not look pleased. The woman continued, I'm Mrs. Gates. I'm the principal here at Lake Windsor Middle School. Mom extended her hand. I'm Caroline Fisher. This is my son, Paul. Hello, Paul, she said. What can I tell you folks about Lake Windsor Middle? We were hoping to see exactly where Paul would be going next week. He has problems with his eyesight. He's legally blind. So we're hoping to make a dry run today. Mrs. Gates looked hard at my glasses. She seemed to be trying to think of a way out of this. But she finally, she finally see, said, I see. I see. All right. Let's take a quick tour. Mrs. Gates and Mom took off at a fast walk. I followed slowly, angry at Mom for calling attention to my eyesight. She wanted a tour of the place because she's nosy and wants to see everything for herself. It wasn't because I can't see, because I can. I can see just fine. We call this the building, Mrs. Gates explained. It contains the main office, the cafeteria, the library, and the sixth grade classrooms. Don't you have an auditorium, Mom asked? The cafeteria doubles as an auditorium. What about a gym? When we need to, we use the high school's gymnasium. Where do you have your PE classes? Oh, we always have uh, physical education outdoors on one of our fields. And when it rains, then we have it indoors in the classrooms. Surely they don't do jumping jacks in those wooden portables. No, on a rainy day, the PE teachers will most likely concentrate on other parts of the curriculum, such as health care or good nutrition. We were outside now facing the portables. There must be 40 of them, all connected by a system of wooden walkways the kind of boardwalks you see at the gym, at the beach. Only these stretch over some sick-looking grass and a lot of brown dirt. Mrs. Gates was speaking rapidly. Each portable is, of course, air-conditioned. As you can see, all of the buildings on our campus are grounded with lightning rods for our afternoon storms. Mom eyed the field with alarm. How would you ever know if there was some emergency out here? Mrs. Gates turned to her and asked, like what? I froze. Even I could hear the annoyance in that voice. Mom locked eyes with her. Does it really matter like what? Do I really have to provide you with an example of what constitutes an emergency? Mrs. Gates retreated. No, of course not. Each portable is connected to the main office by telephone and a public ad address system. And each of its own, own pull alarm in case of a fire. We all stared at the crisscross of the wooden walkways until Mrs. Gates asked, What brings your family to Tangerine? My husband's job. He's the new deputy director of civil engineering for the county. I see. Large drops of rain started to fall around us, so we headed back inside. Mom prompted me, Paul, do you have any questions? Yes. Do you have a soccer team? We do. We have an excellent soccer program, a boys team and a girls team. You play against all the schools in this area. Are you a soccer fan? 
I'm a soccer player, I corrected her. I play goalie. We were now back at the main office. Miss Gates led us into her private office. Mrs. Fisher, I'd like to get you to fill out an IEP for an individualized education plan. Being vision impaired, Paul is entitled to take part in our IEP program. Basically, we identify Paul's situation, set specific goals for him to achieve, and note any special needs he might have. Mom started to read the form. I stepped outside to show what I, that I wanted no part of that conversation. Spotted a glass trophy case and went to check it out. The biggest trophy was for last year's boys' soccer team. It said, first place, Tangerine County Sports Commission. Mom came out of the office briskly. We ran through the cold rain to the car. Once we were inside and belted up, she said, So, what do you think of Lake Windsor Middle School? I don't know, I mumbled, staring out the window. We drove pat back past the field of portables, but Mom suddenly hit the brakes. Look at that, she cried. The field was now completely flooded, like a rice paddy. The brown water had risen to within inches of the wooden walkways. We both shook our heads in disbelief. Then I decided to answer her question about the school. I guess if they have a decent soccer team, I'd let them slide about not having indoor classrooms and not having a gym. Yeah, Mom sputtered. Not having a gym or an auditorium. Two more facts apparently overlooked by your father. And what am I supposed to do? Send you to a school every day in rain gear with an umbrella? Mom would never say it, but I bet we were thinking the same thing. What else had Dad overlooked about Tangerine? We drove it on in silence, except for the pounding of the rain from the flooded campus of Lake Windsor Middle School to the flooded streets of Lake Windsor Downs. All four of us were back at high school, middle school campus today. The head coach, Coach Warner, was holding a three-day tryout camp for a football team before the start of the school year. Eric, of course, didn't need to try out, but he was there anyway. Dad had brought Eric to meet Coach Warner earlier in the summer. Dad had knelt down and held the ball for Eric to drill 50-yard field goals, one after another, while, according to Dad, the coach's jaw had dropped lower and lower. Now, Dad and I were standing next to the coach, not that either one of them was aware of me. I was watching a huge bird of prey circling overhead like a hawk. But it wasn't a hawk. I knew that. It was an osprey. I know the difference because of a science project I did last year. Could a vision-impaired person tell the difference? The players were doing calisthenics under a troubled-looking sky. As black clouds gathered in the west, Coach Warner explained to them, I've never had a good place kicker before, but I sure could have used one this last season. We lost four games by a grand total of seven points. Those days are over, Dad assured him. Antoine Thomas was the whole show last year. He was the go-to guy on every play. He ran for over 100 yards eight times. That's pretty impressive. I even had him running, kick, running back kicks, but I'm not going to do that this year. He's just gotten too valuable. If Eric can give us five or six points a game, then I can save Antoine with quarterbacking. Oh, Eric can give you that. He averaged nine points a game last year, and he was only a junior. He scored 14 points in one game. That was the game when he kicked the 47-yard field goal. I remember that game back in Houston. Eric was on the front page of the sports section the next day. 
I think it was the proudest day of Dad's life. Dad told Coach Warner the thing about Ohio State, how he regretted that he hadn't been big enough to play football there. Coach Warner nodded sympathetically, like he agreed this was some kind of tragedy in Dad's life. I don't understand that. Then again, I don't understand why Dad loves football. I've played football, real football, in the junior league. It's boring. You just stand around most of the time waiting for somebody to tell you what to do. And in the end, some guy like Eric, who hasn't even worked up a sweat, can come in and grab all the glory. It doesn't work that way in soccer. Eric used to play soccer. It was really good, too. This is back in Huntsville, back when he was 9 and 10 years old. He took all the penalty kicks for his team. That's how he learned to kick so hard, drilling those penalty kicks into the back of the goal net. When we moved to Houston, when Eric was 11, he realized that football was the star trash. He took to kicking a football, soccer style, into a small net that, set, that he set up in our backyard. Day after day, in rain and cold and heat, Eric worked on perfecting a two-step kick. Up until then, Dad wasn't much into sports. Once Eric started getting good, though, Dad became transformed. He started talking about his high school football career and, of course, his regrets about college. He became obsessed with football, especially with place kicking. He learned how to hold the ball for Eric, spinning the laces away. For a while, he tried to get me to hike the ball to them. but I never really cooperated. And they soon dropped me from that from the routine. We watched the Lake Windsor players break into groups for time sprints. Mom came up and stood with us for a minute. I knew that she was really there to tell me to get in the car because a thunderstorm was coming. She said, storm's coming, to Coach Warner, and he just smiled and agreed with her. Sure is. Mom pointed out some people to me. There was Mike Costello, and there with his father and his brother standing on the other sideline. There were Arthur Bauer, the guy Eric had over to the house yesterday. There was Antoine Thomas, the quarterback. Mom quickly grew impatient to get me to the car. On the way to the parking lot, she said, those boys shouldn't be out there in a thunderstorm. They have to play in all kinds of weather, Mom. Sometimes you get caught in a blizzard. Sometimes you get caught in the rain. It's part of football. It's part of soccer, too. Why can't they practice in this morning when it doesn't rain? This is ridiculous. When you know that it's definitely going to rain at exactly the same time every day, you can't really call it getting caught in the rain, can you? I agree. I guess you're right. It's like the afternoon tree watering time around here. But there aren't any trees anymore. I climbed inside the car just as the first big drops of rain wrapped against the roof. Look at your father. What is he doing out there? I don't know. He's just going to stand there and get soaked? Looks like it. This isn't Texas. They have their own weather in Florida, and we all need to change our attitudes about it. People shouldn't stand outside in this kind of rain. Just listen to that. The rain was beating down so loud now that it was hard to hear Mom's voice. I sat thinking for a minute and then hollered, I'll bet the people who used to live here, the people who grew tangerines, were really happy with this weather. That's why they were here, right? To grow tangerines? Do you mean it's nice weather here if you're a duck? Yeah, 
or a tangerine, but now it's all upside down, you know? It's all messed up. The rain clouds show up every day just like they're supposed to, but there aren't any tangerine trees, just people. And the people have no use for the rain clouds. So the clouds go around looking for what all the tangerine trees, they can't find them, they get mad, and they start thundering and lightning and dumping the rain on us. I had the feeling mom knew I, what I was talking about, but all she could say is, clouds don't get mad, Paul. We sat in the beating rain noise for a few minutes, then it abruptly stopped, like some annoying little kid had stopped banging on a pan. The sun came out, and the steaming heat rose up all around us. Great, Mom muttered. Now it's sauna time. You need to lighten up, Mom. Oh, is that right? You're the one getting attacked by disappointed rain clouds? Why don't you lighten up? Mom looked in the rearview mirror and added, Look, soccer players. And turned around and sure enough, behind the field of portables was a small group heading toward the middle school soccer field. That's Mike Costello's brother in front. His name's Joey. Go ahead, Paul. Catch up to him. Teach them a few things. Yeah, maybe I will. I hopped out and followed the group. There were four guys ahead of me kicking a ball around. I walked up and stood right in the goal. Joey Costello said something like, Hey, how's it going? He kicked one at me. Then the other three kids fanned out in a semicircle in front of the goal. I caught Joey's kick and rolled the ball out to the next guy so he could take a shot. I caught his kick, rolled it out to the next guy, and so on. They weren't very good. Not one of them seemed to know how to kick. They didn't drive the ball with their insteps. They just stubbed it with their toes. I had no trouble stopping everything they kicked at me. I never did hear the names of the other guys, but when they got tired of playing, we walked back together toward the football field parking lot. Joey said, are you coming out for the Lake Windsor team? Oh, yeah, I'll be there. You going to play goalie? Yeah, how about you? Fullback, I guess. I played some goalie last year, but I never got into a game. When are tryouts? I don't know, Joey turned to the other guys. When are tryouts? Anybody heard? Everybody shook their heads and said, or said no. Joey said, listen to the morning announcement. They'll tell you when. All right, I said. I'll catch you guys later. The four of them continued toward the other side of the field, still stubbing the ball along the ground ahead of them. I saw that mom and dad were waiting at the car, so I hustled over there. I said, where's Eric? He's getting a ride home from, with Arthur Bauer, dad answered. How did your soccer playing go, Mom asked. No sweat, I said. As we rode back, I thought about how easy it was and how easy it was going to be. If Joey was the best they could do for a goaltender, then I already had the job. I wondered if he had changed his mind about playing goal again after watching me play today. I wouldn't doubt it. I wondered if he saw that a major leaguer was here to play a season or two in the minors. Monday, August 28th. Today was the first day of school. I left the house at 7.30 to walk to the front of the development and catch the bus. The smoke was thick and strong smelling. I walked past dark green dumpsters filled with plasterboard and scrap metal, past blue portable toilets parked along the construction lots. It occurred to me that I had never lived in a development that was finished. I've always lived with overflowing construction dumpsters and portable toilets sitting on boards. 
I turned right at the end of Kensington Gardens Drive and walked parallel to the high gray wall. Something started to bother me almost immediately. The gray of the wall drifted along in the left side of my vision, distracting me, troubling me. What was it? Something about the wall? Something about the bus stop? Something that I needed to remember? My steps slowed down and I came to a dead stop, frozen there like a wind-up toy that had run out of torque. Then a scene came back to me, just like the other morning in Houston, entirely on its own. A scene came back to me. I remembered another bus stop and a shiny yellow school bus. I was standing at the back of the line of kids waiting to board the bus for one of my first days of kin at kindergarten. Mom had driven me to school on the actual first day. This was the first day that I would be accompanied by no one except Eric, my fifth grade brother. But Eric did not accompany me for long. He was standing at the front of the school bus line with his fifth grade friends when one of them turned, made a gesture, and called to me. Hey, Eclipse boy, how many fingers am I holding up? I didn't realize at first that the boy was talking to me, and I had no idea what he meant. Eric and his friends laughed about the joke. Then the bus doors opened and we all filed in. I can't put all of the details in order now, but it became clear to me later on that for some reason the big kids on the school bus were calling me Eclipse Boy. The fact is, we did have an eclipse that summer, around three weeks before school started. Based on that, Eric was telling his friends this story. The reason for the coke bottle glasses on my eyes that I had stared at the sun unprotected during the eclipse. The story puzzled me then, and it puzzles me now. I do not remember doing any such thing. And yet, when I searched through our family photos, I can't see that I ever wore glasses of any kind before that summer. But right after the eclipse, I was wearing these thick lenses that I now call my regular glasses. Puzzled or not, I went right along with the story. I even told it myself. It gave me a special kindergarten identity. It made me somebody. I was the boy who had not listened and who was now paying the price. Look at me if you dare. Teachers and other adults seemed to value me as an example. I was the living proof that you shouldn't look at an eclipse or you'll go blind. That you shouldn't play in an abandoned refrigerator or you'll suffocate. That you shouldn't go swimming right after you eat or you'll get stomach cramps and drown. So there I sat on that yellowish school bus, Eric Fisher's younger brother, Eclipse Boy, visually impaired and totally incapable of falling in his brother's footsteps. The scene faded. I stood still for another minute, trying to remember more, but nothing would come. Then I made myself turn away from this wall, and I made my legs move again, one step in front of the other, to the end of the street. As I turned the corner, I was surprised to see other kids standing next to the guardhouse. In my two weeks here, I had never seen another kid in Lake Windsor Downs, even though I had ridden my bike up and down all the streets at all times of the day. Now here they were, spread out in a lazy line, about 10 kids of various sizes. I quietly took my place at the end of the line next to a guy who was slouching so badly that I thought he might actually fall over. He wasn't alone either. Everyone seemed to be depressed, to be sorry to be there. I wondered if that was just an act or if they really didn't feel any excitement about the first day of school.
What's up, goalie? I turned, startled to find that someone was standing right behind me. I hadn't seen him coming. It was Joey Costello. I held out my hand and said, It's Paul, Paul Fisher. You're Joey, right? Right, he answered, shaking my hand. I met your brother over at my house. I met your father, too. Yeah, they said something about that. They said your brother can kick 50-yard field goals. Right, yeah, he can. Mike says Coach Warner has him holding the ball for him. His name's Eric, right? Yeah, I had a feeling Mike might be holding the ball for Eric when he told us that he was the backup quarterback. Joey thought for a moment, then said, Mike's getting a bad break, you know. Mike's a good player, but he's a lineman, not a quarterback. And now he's playing behind Antoine Thomas, the best quarterback in the state. He'll never get to play unless something bad happens to Antoine, and then everybody will be mad because Mike ain't no Antoine. Yeah, he can't win. The bus turned into the entranceway and stopped in front of us. When we climbed on, Joey sat in one with one of the soccer players from the other day. I found an empty seat near the back and pulled out my class schedule. The school had sent us a computerized schedule that showed my six periods, teacher's names, and classroom numbers. With the schedule had, had come a map of the high school, middle school campus, which I appreciated, and a handwritten note to mom for Mrs. Gates, which I did not. It said, visual vision-impaired students should report to the office for assistance. Made me mad. What did she plan to do? Assign me a dog and a cane? The bus turned into the campus and drove around to a circular driveway that said buses only. I looked again at my schedule, feeling jittery. It said homeroom 8:15 to 8:25, portable 9. I moved along with the big crowd of kids circling the main building and funneling into the wooden walkways that led to the portables. I found the one that said P9 with no problem whatsoever. There was a green sign on the door that said Miss Alvarez. I climbed the three wooden stairs and opened the door. Miss Alvarez gave me a cheery good morning and told me to find an empty desk. The class seems to be made up of the same type of droopy kids that had stood with me in the bus line. In contrast, Miss Alvarez has a lot of enthusiasm. She told us she was truly excited to be here on the first day of a new year. She went on to tell us that we're her first homeroom ever and that she's looking forward to starting each day with us. We sat there and stared at her without much reaction, but she smiled bravely through it and we passed the first 10 minutes of the school year together. She asked us all to take out our schedules and check them. Mine said, science. 8.30 to 9.25, portable 12. Ms. Alvarez read some announcements from the computer printout, but there was nothing about a soccer team. The speaker in the room crackled to life with the sound of a gong being struck. This was our signal to funnel out again onto the wooden walkways. We had four minutes to get to our next class, but it took me less than one. I climbed up a set of stairs marked P12, where the green sign said, Mrs. Hoffman. Mrs. Hoffman was standing right inside the door, scowling and holding a seating chart. She clearly, she's clearly at the other end of the teacher food chain from Miss Alvarez. As she would soon tell us, she had been teaching science for 20 years. She asked my name, then directed me to the last seat in the front, first row. The kids in this room seemed to be a little more lively. 
Just five minutes into Miss Hoffman's class, there was a knock on the door. A girl came in holding a block of wood with the word pass printed on it, painted on it. She whispered to Miss Hoffman, who checked her chart, looked toward me and said, Paul Fisher, go with this young lady, please. What can I do? I got up. I followed the girl out the door and onto the walkway. I said, where are we going? Mr. Murrow's office. Who's Mr. Murrow? He's the head of guidance. We went to a small office in inside this main building. A man with a brown suit and thick glasses like mine was sitting at the desk. He had a pile of those IEP forms spread out in front of him, and he said, And what is your name? Paul Fisher, sir. He found my IEP form. All right, Paul, this is Carrie Gardner, one of our school volunteers. Carrie will act as your eyes, so to speak, until you've learned your way around campus. I can see fine. He seemed genuinely surprised. You can? Yes, sir. Been to two classes already. Mr. Murrow looked back at my IEP form, then at me. He said, well, perhaps since you're new to the school, Carrie could just take you around for the first day. What harm could that do? I didn't know what else to say. I didn't know how to describe the harm that it would do, me, do to me. Nothing more came out of my mouth. So he said, why don't you two go back to Mrs. Hoffman's class? I followed Carrie Gardner back to P12, actually to the wooden steps outside of it. That was where I finally found my voice. I stopped still and said as calmly as I could, look, I'm sorry. I don't mean to mess up your job. But there's no reason for anyone, anybody to show me around, okay? She looked at me, puzzled. So I explained, there's nothing wrong with me. This is a mistake. I can see just fine. Carrie answered matter-of-factly. So then what's with the glasses? I reached up and fingered the thick plastic frames. I finally answered, I had an accident. I had some kind of damage to my eyes when I was five years old. Carrie clearly did not mind being released from her duties. She thought for a moment, lowered her voice, and said, Look, I'll hold on to the pass until the end of the day and then turn it in. Nobody will know. Okay, thanks. Carrie started off and then turned back to me. What was the accident? What damaged your eyes? I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure, I replied. She took off again, leaving me thinking. Why didn't I answer that question? I used to have an answer ready for, to that question. I used to tell people that I won't stare too long in a solar eclipse. But if that's the truth, if that really happened, why can't I remember it? Wednesday, August 30th. I'm in my room now, at the computer, listening to the sound of Eric kicking a football into a net in the backyard. It's a short, violent sound, like some big guys holding up some little guy and punching him over and over in the stomach. Poof! 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 The Eric Fisher football dream seems to be materializing. Arthur Bauer is holding the ball for him today, crouching low and spinning the laces away, just like Dad, just like Mike Costello. Arthur is a senior, like Eric. Unlike Eric, he seems to have no special talent for football, and yet here he is, a third-string bench warmer kind of guy holding the ball for the great Eric Fisher. Arthur has a sister named Paige, who's a sophomore and a cheerleader. Paige is down there, too. She is clearly going to be Eric's girlfriend. Arthur's girlfriend is named Tina Turrenton. She's sitting next to Paige. Tina is a junior and, of course, a cheerleader. 
The four of them are hanging out in the smoke of the late afternoon muck fire, ignited by the early afternoon lightning strike. <laughs> Mom has already done her research on Eric's friends. She pumps him for information over dinner every night, and he tells her whatever she wants to know. Arthur and Paige Bauer are the new are the yellow Stuart with the back the brick front. Their father is a building contractor and a major in the Army National Guard. They moved in three years ago. Tina Turretin is in the white York, like ours, but with the avocado trim. She's only lived here a year. They're a strange foursome sitting back there in the smoke. Basically, they pay no attention to each other. The girls are on the cement patio sitting at the redwood picnic table doing homework. The boys are on the grass kicking the ball into the net. I guess Paige and Tina want to date football players. So these two will do. Eric and Arthur want to date cheerleaders. So these two will do. I watched them all pull up to the house in Arthur Bauer's truck, then hurried upstairs. Arthur has a white Toyota Land Cruiser that he's jacked up and put big tires on for mud running. That's what they do around here. They take their jacked up trucks out in the, into the swamps and mud run. When they can't do that, they run up and down the dirt road behind our wall, the perimeter road. Arthur's truck has a big spotlight mounted on top at the center of the windshield, so he can do mud running at night. Now he can take Eric mud running, and he can take Eric to practice, and he can take Eric wherever else Eric says to take him. You see, Eric doesn't drive. Can you believe that? One of the greatest things about high school is that you can drive all by yourself. You're free, but Eric doesn't drive. He's never even expressed an interest in driving. Tell me that isn't strange. From my bedroom window, I can see them all clearly, especially at Arthur Bauer. And I can predict his future. Arthur is about to get his big break, his chance to be somebody at Lake Windsor High. Let's face it, Arthur Bauer is no Mike Costello. He's not the backup quarterback to Antoine Thomas. He's not re- already been accepted to FSU's School of Engineering. He's never really accomplished anything until now. This is his shot at the big time. He will somehow, with Eric's help, beat out Mike Costello for the job of holder of place kicks. It will be Arthur's backside featured in the newspapers, holding the ball for Eric Fisher's 50-yard field goal attempts. According to Joey Costello, Arthur has never even gotten into a game. Now he'll be out there when the crowd is roaring and the cameras are flashing and the game is on the line. What will Arthur do for an opportunity like that, for that kind of fame and glory? What will Arthur do for Eric, his sponsor, his benefactor, his ticket to the big time? Let's face it, he'll do anything. He'll do anything that Eric asks. When he found himself a place in the Eric Fisher football dream, and he will do anything to stay there. I've always been afraid of Eric. Now I get to be afraid of Eric and Arthur.